Hello and welcome to The Lodgecast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each month we'll bring you the latest news from The Beaver Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes. And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. In this episode, we're chatting to Rob Needham, Beaver Trust Restoration Coordinator and author of a new paper exploring how fish are faring with the reintroduction of beavers in Britain. Well, hello everyone and hello again Eva. It's so lovely to have you back behind the microphone for the final episode of season two. Hi Sophie, it's good to see you and it's good to be back. Um, lovely to be back with another Lodge cast. I know, I mean we've we've uh, rattled through them haven't we for this season, I can't believe we're on the last one. I know, I listened to the most recent episode on trees and thought David Oakes was fascinating, mm. um, really sad to have missed it but did get to enjoy it as a listener this time, which is a real treat. <laughs> there has been much tree hugging actually here over since we recorded that. I mean, it was just really fun and so interesting to hear from him about why he loves trees just so much. Well, you've been doing far more than that, haven't you, as well? You've been up to your wellies in wetlands filming our new and exciting Beaver Trust documentary. Yes, I have. I mean, I actually don't have wellies and I think I ought to invest in some because I've been getting very wet in uh, PT bogs and wetlands working with legendary filmmaker Nina Constable who created our first award-winning, ding, 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 film Beavers Without Borders. And we are so excited to be coming together once again for a brand new documentary. Yes, we can't say too much right now, but what we can reveal is that it isn't about beavers. Well, not only about beavers. <laughs> Shock horror. We're zooming out to look at rivers and landscape scale stuff as a whole and meeting fascinating contributors along the way. It's going to break in 2022 and it is going to be great. Watch this space. Yeah, indeed. So... uh Other news, what else is hot off the press? Uh, Well, there's been more beaver releases happening across a few counties. Most recently, we've been working with the fabulous Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust, Seven Trent, Five Sister Zoo and Nottingham Trent University, see how many people it takes to get some beavers back, (laughs) to release six, (laughs) yes, six Scottish beavers into their new home in the Idle Valley Nature Reserve. So it's a mum and a dad and four gorgeous little kits. And the Five Sisters Zoo part of this is really fascinating to me um, because we now follow Rasheen Campbell-Palmer's work as she takes the beavers from where they are removed to um, veterinary checks mm. there. And there's whole animal welfare stuff and, and, and the, the science that goes on there, I think, is really interesting. And we're bringing it all to our social media channels as well. So um sharing that with the world it's really cool yeah it's such a vital part of the process and um you may well see the four very cute kits flying around on twitter and instagram and like many or like most beaver reintroductions it is the first time that beavers have been living in nottingham for 400 years so it's just the most amazing milestone to be a part of yeah it is Um, In other news, the consultation is wrapping up. So um, English Beaver Strategy Consultation by DEFRA. And it's been really interesting to pull it all together and see how the government are thinking of wild Mm. beaver management and what we still need to discuss um, through stakeholder engagement and all that kind of stuff and lots of collaboration. So thanks to all of you who have put a response in and added your voice. Um, It's going to be really crucial to see what the government do with this next for beavers in England. Okay, <laughs> come now, gather round. <laughs> 
it's time for the fact off. Uh, listeners, you know how it works by now. You are old hands at this game. Eva brings a beaver fact. I bring a beaver fact. And together we make our case as to why they're the coolest fact. And we battle for the title of Factor of Champion for season two, as decided by our episode guests. So Eva, the floor is yours. My thank you. So <laughs> I am bringing the very interesting and very cool feature of beaver dams that they are a water filter system. Oh. So dams are actually quite thick. If, for those who haven't seen one before, they're quite impressive, robust, thick structures with all sorts of materials in them. And one of the effects is that they really, really filter sediment and pollutants in the water. Mm. And my accompanying stat to nail this fact is that 50% of phosphorus is reduced below beaver dams, which is, of course, a common agricultural pollutant. And one of the things that we need to improve amongst many others in our <laughs> river water quality. Okay, that's that's pretty interesting. It feels quite relevant to the times when we're talking about water quality and, and river health. Um, so my fact is that beaver dams help avoid ice. Let me explain. So this is more <laughs> this is more relevant to the North American beavers, so the Eurasian beavers cousin. But historically, in times of ice age across Europe, the beaver dams, of course, create these very deep pools behind the dam. And um, lots of research is sort of hypothesizing, it's difficult to prove, but I think in America they're, they're, they're finding out more about it, that the water behind doesn't freeze solid. Now, this is quite a smart move from beavers because further research has shown how they anchor in the winter a food cache or a larder, I guess, to the riverbed to help feed them through the winter. So the dams help the river to stay flowing so that they can get to their snack and, uh, you know, get through the cold days. More... Clever beaver clever, river management. Clever, clever beavers. So clever. <laughs> clever well clothes. done, <laughs> Well, our guest Rob will be joining us for a chat about beavers and fish in a second, so we'll let him decide who wins this episode's fact off. Yes, indeed. So first, I think it's time to bust one of the most common myths about beavers. And it's crazy that we've come to episode six of season two and we're only just talking about this, but beavers do not eat fish. As river species, fish and beavers have coexisted for millions of years, and they're actually really evolutionarily adapted to live in each other's company. Fish are friends, not food, etc. Et et <laughs> yes, beavers are herbivores, and unlike their fellow river dwellers, the otter, they don't actually sink their teeth into the local fish population. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's often a, a concern that we hear when beavers are being reintroduced to rivers in the UK. But it's just one of the things that beaver trusts are working really hard to educate and, and raise awareness of. And actually, Eva, I was having a chat with our lovely colleague Chris Jones yesterday. And he told me an anecdote um, that he's seeing at the Cornwall Beaver Project at the moment. We've had quite a lot of rain. We've got high winter flows coming in on the river. And he's actually seeing more silt deposition and more gravel habitat forming alongside the dams. And that's, as we know, as we'll learn from Rob, perfect habitat for fish. Brilliant. I love Chris's tales from the beaver dam. <laughs> They're always fascinating. A uh, podcast a in itself. <laughs> yeah, so, so beavers do have a whole host of interesting impacts on local fish populations, um, as well as that habitat improvement that you've just sort of given a, a, a minor insight into. They actually boost fish population size as well. So concerns about beaver impacts on fish habitat and things like that and their general health and well-being are completely understandable mm. because beavers are going to change the stream. 
But there is a lot more to it than at first meets the eye. There is indeed. And on that, it's the perfect time to bring in our lovely colleague, Rob Needham. Now, Rob is Restoration Coordinator at Beaver Trust, but he is so much more than that. He is writing up his PhD at the University of Southampton and has just had an incredible paper published exploring the response of brown trout to beavers being reintroduced into the UK and the ways that that can change a habitat. So, Rob, hello, friend. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting, actually. It's always good to have colleagues on because you find a little bit, you find out a little bit more about them as Behind well as from the research thoughts. side of things. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, Rob, as you know, because you've just confessed behind the scenes that you are a listener to the Lodgecast, which we are quite shocked by in a good way. Um, <laughs> uh, the first question we have for you, as you know, is we want to know. Which fact do you think was the coolest? So was it me with uh, the fact that beaver dams avoid ice or was it Eva's fact about water filtration superpowers of a beaver dam? What do you think? Oh, tricky one. Um, I would have to say both very interesting and both very important. Um, Thank you. I think given the current issues around climate change, um, I think... We might have to go with the phosphorus, filtering out the phosphorus oh, through the dams. Damn it. From a, from a, Rob, buy you a coffee later. From a fish perspective, <laughs> the avoiding freeze-up is very important because it provides habitat yeah. for fish in winter. But I think from a UK context, oh, nice. I think the oh. phosphorus is the key issue. Fine, fine, fine. Well done, Eva. We'll have to tally up and see who won over the season. I have to say, I think my, my shout would have been the ice. I'm quite intrigued by that. I like it as a fact. Thanks. So, you know. Me too. Yeah, good. We will. More to come, maybe. Now, uh, now Rob, uh, Beaver Trust Restoration Coordinator, Beaver Trust Podcast. We cannot not talk about beavers. You are a man who has seen an awful lot of beavers, as it were. <laughs> Do you have a favourite beaver moment? Or an experience over over your career so far? There's been a few. I'd say probably the most memorable (laughs) was uh, when we caught the first kit born in Scotland at the Napdale Scottish Beaver Trial. And when was that? That was 2011. He was called Logan. So we were catching up for health screening and... He was going to go back again, was he? It was a health yes. screening check. Yeah, no, it was absolutely. Oh, lovely. It was to mi- microchip and do a health health check and then release back with the family. And was that really special for you because it was just, you know, just such a moment, the fact that it was the first kit? It was It was just quite a, a moment. I mean, species, <laughs> they're sort of legally a licensed trial reintroduction and yeah, for the individuals to be breeding and then subsequently actually sort of getting your hands on mm. the first sort of licensed beaver born. is a- And you do, the, one of the brilliant things about your career is that you are quite hands-on, aren't you? And I, so, so I wanted to ask a little bit about, um, to give a window into the world of scientific research um, and action for our younger listeners who might want to feel inspired by you know, a scientist as doing this for their career. Can you tell us a bit about the fun of researching beavers and fish, the, the wet and windy days, chest deep in beaver ponds and mud, and 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 why that? Why you chose that? And what about it is really exciting and different? Because you know, it's certainly not sitting at a computer like a lot of us do. No, it's um, well, I've I've always been interested in wildlife and curious and sort of wondering why why things happen, why animals do what they do. 
So I think that's kind of what led me there. And yeah, the joys of being out in the field, the fresh air, as you say, the wind, the rain, the mud. Um, there, there are days where the rain and the wind aren't so enjoyable. Um, but then, yeah, sunny days, absolutely fantastic until the midges arrive. <laughs> um, but no, there's so much going on. You see so much that's not even related to your work as well. So it's just, it's just great being out in the field. And you're very hands-on with, you're, you know, you're pinning down sometimes wild animals. And, and I've heard they're quite He's like um, crocodiles on actually. beavers. And, and there's... <laughs> you're just chucking yourself on top of a beaver, as it were. No, it's, um, yeah, no, it's, no, it's great. It's, um, yeah, no, just being part of some unique research and, yeah, being hands-on is great. I've got a question. Uh, how would you describe your your research? What is it that you actually do when you tell people that you're a researcher? What exactly are you researching? So um, basically I've been researching now for quite a few years and the interactions between beaver habitat modification and the impacts that this may have on fish with a particular reference to brown trout in highland streams in Scotland. And you've just had a paper published, haven't you? Um, could you give us uh, more of a summary of that? And you know, what did you look into, and and what did you find out? Because it's a it's a really key bit of research that has you know been long awaited, and I'm sure will be widely cited. Yeah, no, we're we're obviously thrilled to get it published. Um, it's it's the first published work of its kind conducted in the UK. Um, we were looking at two different streams, one of which um, had beaver modifications and dams constructed within the stream um, and the other stream hadn't been modified by beavers and um, we were looking at fish um, brown trout abundance and density um, looking at growth rates invertebrate composition between the two streams um, ultimately what we found there was a lot greater abundance of larger trout hmm. within the beaver modified stream um, suggesting that the beaver modifi- modified habitats were providing additional habitat that could support more life stages for the brown trout. So the stream which hadn't been modified was a very important stream for spawning, mm. but could only sustain a certain age fish up to about a year before those fish had to migrate downstream into the lock. And was that a surprise? Um, I mean, ultimately, it, it has just confirmed what other research has found in North America and Europe. Um, so from the findings point of view, it's not a unique brand new information, but it's, it's reassuring to be able to mm. get these results replicated in the UK. So it's quite an important impact for beavers in the UK, it sounds like. And um, bearing in mind, your, the research was carried out before you joined Beaver Trust. So you're spe- speaking as a scientist here, not as a sort of beaver believer or part of the clan. <laughs> would, you, would you say that your research provides clarity that beavers have a positive influence on fish, including migratory species? Because that is one of the key questions that everyone wants to know. Yeah, so I mean, it's a tricky question. I mean, what there is further research ongoing. Um, which we're involved in with, um, that's the University of Southampton, uh, Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, Nature Scott, um, and the Salmon and Trout Association. So this first paper is great. It's reassuring. It's saying that beavers can have a positive impact on brown trout, which happen to be a migratory species. Overall, 
Um, we're still, like I say, we're still conducting, um, analyzing data, which will hopefully be out shortly, hopefully in the new year, um, looking at the impact of actual passage rates of brown trout at the beaver dams. So we had a lot of trout that were microchipped and then were monitored with telemetry systems. So we wow. could see how many trout approached a dam and then subsequently how many managed to successfully get past that dam. And the initial results without sort of giving away too much is in one year when there was heavy rains, there was a high proportion um, of the trout that were detected at dams successfully passing, some individuals going up and down multiple times. Um, however, in a subsequent year with less rain um, and very cold weather, where there was ice on the beaver ponds, um, the, the passage efficiency was reduced. Hmm. Um, okay, because there's a distinction between upstream and downstream migration as well, isn't there? And the impact of on, the influence on that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously fish moving downstream it's going to be easier for the fish to get past these dams. Hmm. Um, one example, on one of the dams we looked at, which had a bypass channel where the dam overflowed around, all the fish that successfully passed it in an upstream direction, they used the side channel to get around the dam. However, okay. on the return journey, a large number of those fish actually just dropped down over the dam. So then there, hmm. was, a, there was a divide. Some trout did use the bypass channel, but... Hmm. And to talk in really basic terms, they, they would do that. They would choose to do that anyway when there is high rainfall because there's a natural flow. So it's not like they'd, um, in, a, in, in a natural system that it doesn't even have beaver dams, but has natural um, you know, steps, as it were. <laughs> they'd choose to migrate when there is high flow anyway. So it's not like there's an, a change in, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, no, no, no. So, no, absolutely. So... With those fish moving upstream, with that bypass, with the side channel that has come round the dam, because the water's found its natural flow, the vast percentage of the water coming downstream was going to come round that channel. So when the fish were moving upstream, they would have sensed that there was a stronger flow at that point. So it would have followed that channel rather than going into the kind of deader water but immediately below the dam. Mm, okay. I'm going to just ask the flat question. We've sort of answered it a little bit, but why are people worried about fish in beaver habitats? Because this is just an ongoing discussion and a lot of concerns are valid, but but in your experience, why are they worried? It's It boils down to the, the upstream and downstream migration of economically important species such as salmon and sea trout. Um, current research... Again, across Europe and North America, uh, overall, the evidence would suggest that beavers have a positive impact on these species. Um, mm. However, there are instances where certain dams will block passage of migratory fish. Um, and these will often be in a situation where the landscape's been so heavily modified Mm. That the river river can't find a natural channel, the water can't get around dams um, in canalised systems, for example. Mm. And I think, as as we're all aware, salmon, Atlantic salmon, particularly in well, Atlantic salmon, regardless of whether it's Great Britain, Norway, North America, um, their populations have reduced. So, I mean, ultimately, I think there is this concern that 
any impediment in any river that may impact on mm. a individual fish from reaching the spawning grounds is a bad thing. But that is that's the challenge that we've got, isn't it? Is that they're under so much pressure as it is that any change, positive or negative, you know, any change is terrifying for everybody because they're under so much pressure. Yeah, I mean, yes, like I said, some dams will block upstream movements, but you've got. I mean, realistically, I think we need to look at the holistic sort of the whole. Mm. What overall are going to be the positive impacts? Mm. I mean, there's a very good study done in Oregon which looks at. Um, steelhead which is a migratory form of the rainbow trout which has i mean those that population has been reduced and what they found here was that by physically putting in beaver dams so beaver dam analogs creating structures in the river system to imitate what beavers do naturally um, and also provide a platform for beavers to dam against they have found that where this um, intervention has happened it's had a positive net increase on the mm. population of steelhead with greater abundance of young of the year, um, mm. greater densities, um, and they haven't seen any negative impacts on up or downstream movement. I think, Rob, you need to answer, the, the, you need to answer that question for us. Did uh, beavers teach salmon to leap? Well, <laughs> it's a bold statement, but ultimately the two, <laughs> the, the two species have co-evolved for millennia well before we came on the scene so there's obviously been something going on between the two species for a very very long time have you ever been in the water standing there by large beaver dams and seen fish leap over them um yes i have actually have you? um oh, okay. cool. so, what kind of height <laughs> um not massive ones but sort of up to a meter oh, pretty cool. pretty massive I think. So, can can Britain, I ask a cool. personal question, Rob, if you don't mind? Um, if you had to choose beavers or fish, what would you go for and why? Ooh, I don't know. Can Dramatic I not go pause. both? <laughs> can I not interesting. go both? Uh, okay, you can, say, interesting. you can say both, but you have to give a good reason for each because each are interesting in their own right. Well, I'm, I'm a keen fisher than myself and I've been fishing since I was about four years old so I love the river oh. and having seen what beavers can do in these environments my personal view is that mm. they are a good thing and having seen what the beaver modified habitats can provide in terms of habitat for trout and larger trout as a fisherman I see mm. that as a good thing. Um, that that's really interesting because my next question was going to be what are the wider implications for the fishing sector i mean i th the, the the issue with the industry and the the sort of the fishing stakeholders i mean ultimately these concerns still remain but what mm. what this publication does show is that in small streams that you wouldn't really look at twice to go fishing on where the beavers have changed the habitat mm. they are providing small fishing pools for the sort of wild fly fishermen to go and look for brown trout. There's still work to be done in terms of fish passage and migration. But I mean, like I've mentioned earlier, this all seems to be within the, the problems will arise in the canalised mm. streams and rivers. But where rivers have been given space to reconnect with the floodplain, um, water can create channels around the dams. And as hopefully this 
the upcoming research will show is that where the water can get round the dams, the fish use these channels as their preferred route upstream. That's uh, very interesting. So if I've heard you correctly, you've answered the next question by uh, suggesting that your research is about to support our wider buffer zone campaign ding, 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 uh, ding, ding, in the ding. new year. <laughs> so well done. <laughs> could, could having more space around watercourses help alleviate some of the concerns about beavers and fish? I mean, I think, I think given space... And I think a lot of people will be in agreement that where rivers have space to renaturalize, then concerns will be alleviated because mm. the water has to find its way. And we've seen this site that we studied in Scotland, even since I finished the research looking at it recently, there's new channels. So where they had where the fish had four dams to pass, they've now only got two because a new mm. channel has been created from above the top dam right round to just below, oh, wow. to just above the first dam. So it's just another option and the fish have yeah. found it? Yeah. Wow. Um, and it makes sense, doesn't it? But it needs space to be able to do that. So Yeah, no, absolutely. So providing the, the space, um, creating river buffers, I think that's definitely a very mm. positive step forward. Um, Rob, I've heard of these things called fish pass boxes. Um, which can help funnel fish through a dam or, or a, a culvert or an obstruction. What are your thoughts on these? And perhaps could you explain a bit more about what, what these are? It's ultimately a pipe that goes through a dam, which mm -hmm. comes into a big box, which mm. is stepped, um, and then a pipe coming out of that box. So, And where this water is flowing out, that acts as the attractant for the fish. And then the fish can move up into the box and then up through the pipe um how effective they are uh, yeah. remains to be seen i don't think they've sort of done any scientific trials on them to sort yeah. of actually ascertain the sort of passage rates through right. these boxes um but there's more to be done then i i believe so there's more to be done especially around people but there's been so much work done on fish passes Mm. Um, fish ladders um, oh cool that's through a funny image. looking through weirs and dams and sorry to interrupt can we just back up and and talk about a fish ladder because at the moment i'm imagining a sort of snakes or ladders you know fish don't have arms they can't climb a ladder what is a fish ladder please so a fish ladder the sort of simplest way to describe it would be kind of like a set of stairs again whereas each step a funny image <laughs> <laughs> with water coming down it. So stairs where the water's coming over and each each step would represent a small pool. Ah, uh, okay. So there'd be a small pool on each step and then the yeah. water flowing over. It sounds so like rather... a spa, you know, and you've got those lovely little <laughs> mini waterfall cascading down and some soft music. Yeah, no, it can be very nice. Ambient oh. music yes. for the fish passage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rob, this is very scientific. No, that's really interesting. No, no. So, so basically what this is showing is that there's an array of options to consider and continue research on to address the ongoing concerns around fish populations and beaver habitat. I'm going to throw a cheeky question here. I know we asked you on to talk about your fish research, but you also do beaver management and mitigation in the field. And speaking of dams... Can you give us a bit of an anecdote to give our listeners a flavour of how solid these structures are? Because you sometimes have to remove dams, don't you, as one of your management practices. How 
how does it feel taking a beaver dam apart? And and is it really hard work um, because they're quite strong? It is. It it can be very hard work. Um, some dams are a lot easier than others. Um, it depends how long they've been in situ. Uh, but no, ultimately, they are very strong structures. I mean, currently, we do it by hand um, using forks. A lot of people have used diggers and things to Gosh. speed it up. Um, mm. But no, they the way that they're, they're created and designed, the branches go at different angles. So some vertical, some horizontal. There's usually mm. a layer of stone in there as well. And with all the sediment being pushed into the dam from upstream, which holds it back, it just, again, reinforces the structure. I mean, we have found some quite comical things in beaver dams, like metal bars and wine bottles. I've seen a wine bottle as well. Wine bottles. (laughs) Beaver beverage. Fence posts. Fence posts. All sorts of, yeah. A beaverage. A beaverage. There we go. (laughs) <laughs> rehydration absolutely re-wetting the landscape <coughs> with wine absolutely <laughs> um, <laughs> um well we've we've covered a lot really i mean i've got a million questions but there's so many directions which we mm. could go in and i think we'll have to um put together another episode on some of this mm. stuff particularly on i think the the management the mitigation techniques uh, in yeah. sort of in beaver management they're fascinating and uh, it's lovely to hear about your experience in the field though thanks so much Mm. for coming on thank you so much rob no worries well that was fab i almost can't believe it's taken us this long to talk in some depth about beavers and fish on the lodge cast um but what better guest could we have on to tackle that topic oh see what you did there very good Right, well, with that metaphor, we've meandered far enough from the source and are approaching the metaphorical estuary. (laughs) Because the last obstacle this episode has to navigate during its path downstream is the quiz. Brilliant. Bring it on. Quiz me. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Okay, this quiz, let me get it up. This quiz is fish related. In fact, Uh it's famous fish. Oh. Yeah. Three questions, three answers. You just have to tell me which one is right. Are you ready? Uh, Yeah, as I'll ever be. Famous fish, question one. Which fish famously told the other fish to just keep swimming? Is it A, Nemo, B, Flounder, or C, Dory? Oh, no. Um, Pop culture fish. Yeah, not hot on my animations but i'm gonna go with dory ah yes of course got it right was it yeah dory was she telling swimming. nemo to just, just keep, keep swimming? swimming oh yeah just keep swimming 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 <laughs> what do we do we and swim? here she is as a special oh, guest oh, oh, on the lodge cast oh, oh. <laughs> please welcome dory the fish <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Job opportunity there. Um, fun fact, that actually used to be my ringtone when I was in year eight. Hence, no one rang me apart from my mum. So anyway, question two of Famous Fish. What is the largest fish in the world? A, great white shark. B, whale shark. Or C, Greenland shark. Whale shark. Although I've never heard of a Greenland shark. 
Have you not? They're some of the oldest animals in the world. Are they? Oh. They're like dinosaurs roaming the seas. It's amazing. Oh, nice. Yes. Look it up. But I think Greenland it's a whale shark. shark. It is. You're right. B. Two out of three so far. I'm loving this quiz. Thank you. Well, I thought I could go really scientific famous and factual, fish. which probably should be more appropriate, but actually, no. We're going for No, this fish. is a lodgecast. It's fun. Final. <laughs> thanks. Final question. We're going to be talking about the big five fish species in UK waters. Now, the big five species, fish species make up nearly 75% of all seafood eaten in the UK. <gasps> Interesting. But what one is the... Watch, I need to phrase this right. Uh, out of the five, which one is the correct fifth member? So here we go. This will make sense as I read it. Question A, is it cod, haddock, tuna, salmon, or prawn? B... Is it cod, haddock, tuna, salmon, or trout? Or C, is it cod, haddock, tuna, salmon, or mackerel? So is it prawns, trout, or mackerel? Is the fifth uh, trout. member. Trout. has to be bigger. No. Are you prawns. talking about the size of the thing? Oh, oh sorry. I no, I you meant which the size of the correct. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. My mistake. It is. Okay, it is in terms of. Correct. Food in terms source. of popularity. Popularity. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. Well, brilliant. And it's prawn. Yeah, I, yeah, I imagine. It's prawn. Sorry about that, listeners. A bit of a no, it's fumble great. through there. So, so tell <laughs> us the five again. That's really interesting. So these five fish species make up nearly 75% of all seafood eaten in the UK. Cod, haddock, tuna, salmon, and prawns. Yeah, amazing. And that's the end of the quiz. So I'm going to give you a point for that because I messed you around. So you got three out of three, famous fish. Famous fish. Thanks so much. I love that. I mean, I thought it was going to be like Merlin, Bob and, and Tony, the famous fish of... Uh... <laughs> yes, the famous fish of nowhere. <laughs> the North Atlantic. <laughs> um, brilliant. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Lodgecast. Um, we would like to say a huge thank you to Rob for joining us today and sharing his insight and his research on the relationship between beaver and fish populations in the UK. And thank you to you, our lovely, loyal listeners, for listening to The Lodgecast throughout this second season and for downloading it and sharing it with your friends and family. And while you're here, please make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes and potential season three. And all, as always, leave us a nice review. It does really help us reach new audiences and grow the podcast so that we can keep bringing you brilliant guests. And why not keep sharing the podcast with a friend or two who might be interested in beavers or nature restoration or maybe just up for a bit of a laugh. <laughs> for more from us, you can also visit our website, beavertrust.org, to read our blogs and sign up to our newsletter. And as always, you can find Beaver Trust on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Beaver Trust. So bye for now and we'll see you soon. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by the wonderful Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust. <laughs> <laughs>